0: Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10, we we read this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And in 1 John 2, chapter 1, uh, verse uh, 1 to 2, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Tie in with the theme for today, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, Brennan Manning, author, writes these words. He says, prior to my encounter with Jesus, my personal life was riddled with guilt, shame, fear, self-hatred, and obviously low self-esteem. You see, growing up Catholic in the late 1930s and the 40s and 50s, my central preoccupation was sin. Sin was everywhere. It consumed us and dominated our consciousness. There were two kinds of sin, mortal, which was the more serious kind, and venial. Committing a mortal sin means knowing that what you're about to do, think, want, or say is really bad, but doing, thinking, wanting, or saying it anyway. Most of the things we did Uh, that were wrong fell into the less offensive category of venial sin. Committing a venial sin meant you were doing something that's not really so bad, or or doing something really bad that you don't think is really bad, uh, or that your heart really isn't into doing. So if your little brother is being a pest and you tell him to drop dead, you've committed a venial sin. If you shoot him dead, you've committed a mortal sin. Now, while the difference between mortal and venial sin seems obvious, don't be fooled. There is more to this than meets the eye. What is really bad and what isn't? And who decides? Here's a routine situation that every Catholic of my generation had to deal with. You're at a baseball game at Yankee Stadium on a Friday night in June 1950. Catholics are forbidden to eat meat under penalty of mortal sin, but you want a hot dog. Now, just considering eating meat on a Friday is a venial sin. Wanting to is another one. You haven't moved from your seat, and you've already sinned twice. (laughs) What if you actually ate one? Well, aside from the risk of choking on forbidden food and getting punished right on the spot, have you committed a mortal sin or a venial sin? Well, if you think it's mortal, it may be mortal. And if you think it's venial, well, it still may be mortal. But after much thought, you decide it's venial. So you call the hot dog vendor, and you take the money out of your pocket, and you buy a hot dog. This is clearly an act of free will. You figure you can go to confess your sins to the priest on Saturday night. But wait, does a venial sin become a mortal sin when you commit it deliberately? Well, that's a chance you take. What if you've forgotten it's Friday? Well, in that case, eating the hot dog may not be a sin at all, but forgetting it's Friday is. What what if you remember it's Friday halfway through eating the hot dog? Is it venial sin to finish it? If you throw it away, isn't wasting food a sin? Within five minutes, you've committed enough sins to land you in purgatory for a million years. (laughs) The simplest thing is just not take any chances and stay away from Yankee Stadium on Fridays. (laughs) In retrospect, he says, while much of this stuff is hilarious, the sense of guilt and shame were terribly real. If you weren't here last week, um, I began a... Two week mini series, I titled What I Wish I'd Learned in Sunday School, which is exactly as the title uh, sounds. It's things that I wish somebody had told me while I was in Sunday school, or at least they'd emphasized more while I was in Sunday school, as well as learning things, you know, the stories of Moses and Noah and and Jesus. I wish they would have told me some of these things. And I began last week by uh, talking about the thing I wish I'd learned more than anything else. And that was, how does God speak to us? How does God communicate to his children? And I told you about my own journey of frustration and confusion over 17 years while I just bumbled along trying to figure out, how does God communicate? Well, this week we move on to the next thing I wish I'd learned in Sunday school, and that is more about God's acceptance. I would wish I'd learned more about God's acceptance. That quote from Brandon Manning is funny, primarily because it hits pretty close to home, I think, for a lot of, even if we're not Catholic, it still hits pretty close to home. It identifies some of the tensions that we live with when it comes to issues of God's acceptance. Because you see, we're presented in Scripture with kind of two sides of the same coin. Uh, On the one hand, in Romans, we read, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone. Cause on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's backed up in Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Okay, but then we have to balance that with passages like in 1 John where it says, as I read at the beginning, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. A liar, right? If you, don't, if you say you know God, but you're not living in a way keeping the commandment, then you're a liar, is what he says. So gonna how, how do we deal with that? So if I claim to know God, be a follower, be accepted by God as one of his children, but I'm not keeping all of his statutes, I'm just telling big fat porky pies. You know, I'm a fraud, basically. Well, which is it? Is my acceptance of, by God based on the balmy waters and the sunny skies of undeserved mercy and grace, or is it based on the decidedly icy waters and threatening clouds of personal performance? Now, I know you know the answer to that question, so I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. You know the answer to that question, and fortunately, and praise God, I did learn that in Sunday school. I learned that, that God's gift to us was eternal life. It's not something that we earned. We are saved by grace alone. Salvation is free for us. It wasn't free for Jesus, but it's free for us. All we have to do is receive it in repentance and faith and with thanksgiving. But, 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 after we've received it, that's when things, at least for me, got confusing. I came to God through the warm seas and under the sunny skies of mercy and grace. But once I came to him, shortly thereafter... The scene changed. You know, have you ever been to a play, you know, particularly uh, you know, one of those where maybe they do the scene changes whilst you're watching because they move from night to day or something, and you know, this backdrop just goes whoomph, and it comes down, and suddenly you were in a forest, and now you're on a shoreline, or it's, it was night and now it's day. You know, it's just that scene change. Well, uh, and the warmth and the sunshine disappears, and dark clouds, and threatening sky, and You know, the idea of a God with a big stick is kind of standing there. Well, that kind of transition took place in my own life, reminding me that my acceptance by God is now conditional based on my performance. Because who wants to be a fraud? Not me, uh, but I have to be able to keep his commands. Now, the whole backdrop thing is a little bit um, dramatic, obviously. No pun intended. Drama. Backdrop. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Okay. See, all I heard about in Sunday school was that God loved me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And that was presented in a, a multifaceted number of ways. And that's great. We, who doesn't want their kids to know that God loves them? But no one told me that once I received that love, I was going to be viewed as a big fat liar if I didn't start living by the rules. Right? Who tells their kids that? No, you can come, Jesus loves you if you don't do these things, he's going to whap you, right? Nobody nobody tells their kids that. You ever got one of those flyers in the mail that tells you that uh, if you go to this one-hour seminar, you get a free weekend somewhere? You ever got one of those? Uh, <laughs> ever been on one of those seminars? After uh, we arrived in the country in 1999, uh, we went through... Uh, Four, at least I went through, four really hard years. I call them the dark years, and I'll talk about those some other day. But the, God was absent, heavens was silent. It was just, you know, the long, dark tea time of the soul kind of thing. Anyway, it was, it, was, it was difficult. And about a year and a half into that, my wife and I, you know, she's struggling, thrust back into the workforce after 12 years of being a homemaker and kids struggling to get settled in new schools. Everything was just all over the place. And this arrived in the mail. And I'm like, oh, a weekend away with Carol. We get somebody to look after the kids. That just sounds amazing. One hour, I can find an hour. So I I called the number and I signed up to go. The building was off Capitol Drive and I went in, signed the attendance sheet and sat down along with about a dozen other people who looked like they were there for the same reason as me. Which of course they were. Why else would you go to one of these things? Well, then someone came in and they welcomed us and they took about half an hour to go through a slick slide presentation, which told us all the wonderful benefits of owning a timeshare. Uh, they, and they were selling timeshares. Coincidentally, isn't that marvelous? Look, this is a wonderful benefit, and we we have someone offer. And when they got done, the slide, the presentation was over. I thought, well, oh, that wasn't so bad, you know. That was worth it. You know, that was easy. Well, they hadn't hardly gotten started yet, so. Um, uh, they, they picked up the piece of paper that we'd all signed in with and they started calling our names out one by one. And one by one we followed somebody into what looked like a police interrogation room, <laughs> where for the next half an hour or so, with nobody else to distract us, and nothing else to look at and no pretty PowerPoints, we were, uh, exp- uh, every possible pressure was applied to get us to sign for a timeshare. It was excruciatingly uncomfortable. When he'd fired all his shots, the guy who had me finally stopped threatening and cajoling and and so on. He asked, why had I come to the seminar? Well, duh, you know, I said, I came for the free weekend. You know, that's why I came. Well, you know, he didn't like that answer at all. But I wasn't gonna crack. We had no money to be afford a timeshare. And uh, frustrated and recognizing this, he led me into another room where I picked up the information on the free weekend. At which point, I found out that they told you exactly which of, I think it was two or three dates that, that, that I could go. It was up to the Dells, this was. Um, and then it would tell us where we had to stay and how long in advance we had to book and what extra charges there would be. And suddenly this was not looking like a free weekend uh, up in the Dells. This was looking like work and cost and, and rent. You know, you could only book it like a week in advance. Well, you have to make all kinds of preparations and, and make sure that your work schedules are, free. so, well, it never happened. Let's just put it that way. Well, that gives you, that experience kind of gives you some idea of how I felt after coming to Christ. I'd been promised this wonderful free gift of salvation and forgiveness and peace and hope and heaven, and it was glorious. And I was entering a relationship with God. But having signed on the dotted line and said yes to this wonderful gift, everything moved very quickly away from free gift and onto performance. Here's your Through the Bible in a Year reading guide. Here's your prayer journal. Make sure you write in it every day, whatever God says to you, because he should speak to you every day. So make sure you do that. Don't forget, the Bible tells us to pray continually. So make sure you do that as well. And give 10% of everything you earn to the church and never miss a service. The Bible tells us we should not neglect the gathering of ourselves together. Oh, and we need people to work in the nursery or the Sunday school, so your pick. We don't mind which one you do. Um, And... uh, Here's what you have to do to be a church member and your New Believers Bible study schedule is over there. And of course, there's baptism and your spiritual gifts to think about. And by the way, uh, you need to do all of these things, okay, Paul, if you want to grow as a Christian. You do want to grow as a Christian, don't you, Paul? Well then, okay, see you next week. And you're like, what was that? It was like I got given a spiritual checklist that said you know things to do in order to be a good Christian. Actually, it wasn't like I got given a spiritual checklist. I did get a spiritual checklist. I mean, it wasn't a physical list, but those were the pieces that were laid out. And if they'd been little boxes on a piece of paper and written down, you know, you have to check these things off every week if you want to grow and if you want to be a good Christian. Well, you don't come into this thinking, well, I don't want to grow, I don't want to be a good Christian. You come in full of enthusiasm and so you say, well, let's get started. So you start trying to do the things and checking boxes. But pretty soon, you know, a few weeks go by and you oversleep or the alarm doesn't go off. And then you missed your devotions. You didn't do your Bible reading. Well, the next day you've got two to catch up on. Or then you get sick and you miss a week. Well, now you've got like 40 chapters of Leviticus to read. And you're like, oh, no. you know, oh, how are we going to do this? Uh, and so, uh, so you're just, you're, you're now running to stand still. So it's not, you know, what is God going to say to me from his word today? It's, how quickly can I read this? Can I skip all these, and he begat this, and he begat him, and let's just skip that piece and go on over here. Oh, this is about skin diseases. Well, let's skip that, you know. And so you're just, you're, just, you're, you're, you're on the treadmill of performance. And, uh, and then, you know, well, never mind prayer, you know. No, but you don't get lessons. You're just told to pray. What does that mean as a Christian? Well, you just talk to God, okay? Well, the only time, you know, depending on the church you grew up in, the only way you ever learned to talk to God was, oh, Lord, oh, here I am. I'm not quite sure how I'm supposed, you know, is there a position I'm supposed to be in? Is there a way I'm supposed to pray? You know, am uh, I on my knees? What am I supposed to do? Are there words I'm supposed to use? Because they all sound very highfalutin and all very nice, nice and orderly and, and there's no hesitation or repetition or deviation from the theme until the amen. I, I can't do that. So you just say a few, you know, 30 seconds, two minutes and then you're done because, well, what else is there to talk about? And, and it's because you don't know. So you, uh, you bumble along there as well. And of course, I'm supposed to be thinking about God all the time, apparently, but I'm not. I mean, how can I think about God when I'm having to concentrate on the work I'm doing or the conversation I'm having with the person in front of me or whatever else it is? How is that even possible to do that? The conclusion very quickly is reached that, well, I just must be a big fat liar because I say I know God, but apparently I'm incapable of following the rules. I am incapable of checking all these boxes on a daily basis. I am not rejoicing in all circumstances because that's what it tells me I'm supposed to do. I don't love my enemies. In fact, I'd like to strangle most of them. I am not being persecuted for my faith because if I, if I was, uh, if I was you know, a good Christian, then uh, I'm living for Jesus. That's what would be happening. And I haven't led anybody to Christ in the last week. So where did that leave me? Well, it left me completely overcome with guilt. Overcome with God. We're back to Brennan Manning's situation. Overcome. I came into this life wanting to live life for God, and now I am overburdened with guilt over the things that I'm not doing, that I'm told I'm supposed to be doing for me to be a proper and a good Christian. That's, you know, how pathetic am I? How disappointed in me must God be? You know, I came into his family, and all I've done is not enough, apparently. Guilt over missed devotions. Guilt over not praying enough. Guilt over whether I miss church. Guilt over not volunteering to help with an event or activity. Guilt over wanting to throttle my wife after a hideous argument. Guilt over wanting to fire a nuclear warhead at the car in front that drove me, almost drove me off the road. You know, welcome to the family of God. We're so thrilled you've accepted Christ's free gift of salvation. Your guilt dumpster will be arriving on Thursday. We normally have it towed and replaced every two weeks, but if yours fills up quicker than normal, just give us a call, we'll change it out the same day. All I thought I was doing all the time was letting God down, letting myself down. Letting the the, the church, the family of God down. And it was a feeling that plagued me for over a decade. Now, you might be thinking, well, he talked about 17 years of misery last week. He's has kind got of over a decade. Well, no, these are just all going on at the same time, okay? So the guilt was along with, uh, with you know, wondering how you know, God speaks to me. But this has went on for years. And suddenly, Catholics squirming over buying hot dogs on Fridays doesn't seem quite so ridiculous because that was my world. Now, let me declare loud and clear, intellectually, I knew different. Intellectually, I knew different. I knew that I was loved and accepted by God based on the finished work of Christ. It is finished. He had accomplished everything he needed to do for my salvation. I knew that. I did learn that in Sunday school. But experientially, I got sucked into the vortex, the Christian vortex of living as though right now Today, this moment, God's approval is entirely dependent upon my performance. That's the vortex that I got sucked into. Uh, it all depended on, on how, I, how I looked, my outward appearance. Do I look like a good Christian according to the rule book that I've been given? And of course, different denominations and different churches have different rule books. You know, we don't all get the same one. So as I was growing up, I've met people who would say, you know, do I smoke, do I drink, do I dance, do I gamble, play cards, tell rude jokes, play sports on Sundays, eat unclean foods, do I look presentable, is my hair the right length, am I tattoo-free, do I look full of the joy of the Lord, do I preach the gospel to everyone I meet, am I a fundamentalist, a creationist, an evangelical, a charismatic, am I pre-trib or mid-trib or post-trib, where do I stand on inerrancy, on the nature of the Trinity, on baptism, on the second coming? Transubstantiation. I wish I could tell you that I just made all those up, but I have met people who have asked me every one of those questions. And if you don't get the answer right, according to how they have answered those questions, well, then you're just going to be made to feel bad. You know, Well, you're wrong, because they're, they're right. If they've already come to a conclusion, then you need to get your theology in order, because this is how it is. It's very sad that uh, when we begin to understand things, that we use them as weapons to beat one another with within the life of the church, to compare and compete and condemn. Now, we all need an intelligent theology. We really do, right? There's no, there's no excuse for saying, well, I don't bother with that theological stuff. Theology is just knowledge of God. It's just understanding about God. So you, everybody's got a theology. You all have a theology. I don't care if this is your first day in church since you were tiny You have a a belief about God. That's all theology is. And it needs to be intelligent. So we need to think some of these things through. But I don't believe getting all our theological ducks in a row is Jesus' top priority. Jesus didn't demand intellectual assent to a set of beliefs when he invited the disciples to be his followers. He simply said to Peter and James and John and, and all the rest, follow me come, follow me, right? He didn't do all kinds of background checks to see what kind of person they were. Follow me. And if you read the Gospels, Jesus constantly bypassed the, I'm just going to take a serious scholarly approach to this in favor of the simple. He, He worked with what was close at hand, wildflowers and fig trees and mustard seeds and lamps and baskets and shepherds and sheep and weeds and wheat. He never did an exegesis of a Hebrew root, and he never compared the Aramaic with the Sanskrit texts. He just spoke in a way that nobody, from the record, nobody speaks the way this man speaks. Captivating. Leslie Weatherhead writes, one of the reasons why we think following Jesus is so hard is perhaps that we have never clearly realized what the essential thing in Christianity is. We've never realized clearly realized what the essential thing in Christianity is. Well, the essential thing in Christianity, wouldn't that be nice? What is the essential thing? If we had to hone it all down, what's at the core? If we could slice through the Christian life, you know, I don't know what to call it now, I just made it up, Um, globe, you know, what's at the core? What's at the heart? What is the essential thing? What is it that would make the weight of my Christian life just roll off me and free me to be back into that place of grace and peace? Allow me to breathe again, free air. What would infuse me with life? Is there such a thing as an essential thing in Christianity? Well, Weatherhead continues. He says, in my view, the essential thing in Christianity is a transforming friendship with Jesus. A transforming friendship with Jesus. There are thousands, he says, of wistful, lovable people in our churches who've never realized that. They've listened and read and studied and worried, and they've tried to get it. They've always hoping it might be so, but it never is. And the reason is they're trying to get something which can only be received as a gift. For years, they've fought God to get it, hammered it on a door that's already open, and sought with burning eyes and weary feet for a treasure that all the time has been right within their reach. The essential thing of Christianity, a transforming relationship, a transforming friendship with Jesus. It took me over a decade to get that figured out, for me to, to learn that that was what Christianity was about, not this checklist of stuff, for me to stop feeling guilty all the time. You well, know, maybe it could have been quicker, but that's how long it took. For me to learn to stop trying to impress everybody around me by my performance. Because I want people to think well of me. I want them to think that I'm a spiritual oak, that I'm just a wealth of wisdom. I mean, that I know the Scriptures well. I mean, we want those things. And there's nothing wrong with those things, all right? But my acceptance by God is not based on that. And my acceptance by other people should not be based on that either. I had to stop trying to impress those around me. I also had to stop trying to impress myself with how spiritual I was, whether I could answer the Bible questions in trivial pursuits, you know? How many spiritual disciplines I was engaged in, the acts of service that I performed, the sacrifices I made, the money that I gave, you know, you're doing such a great job, Well, well done, you know? Trying to impress myself, but most of all, I had to stop trying to impress God with all those things. He wasn't looking to be impressed. He didn't need to be impressed. All he asks of me is one thing. One thing. And if I do that one thing, everything else flows from it, which is the way it's supposed to work. And that one thing is quite simply, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love God. Jesus summarized all the law and the prophets, pretty much the entire Old Testament, outside of the Psalms and the, uh, uh, the poetry. Love the Lord your God. That's the one thing, to give myself to friendship with Christ. He's not looking for performance. He's not looking for theological perfection. He just wants my heart because he's offering me his heart in return. This is supposed to be a heart-to-heart thing, not a heart-to-great-performance thing. God, that's not what he's looking for. He wants my heart. You know, and we reference characters like David, a man after God's own heart. That's because that's what he wants. You know, why were so many of the other kings through uh, Israel's history just terrible? The northern kingdom, when the kingdom split with Solomon's sons, there was not a single king in the northern kingdom that had a heart after God. And of the I think, 17, 19 in the southern kingdom, kingdom of Judah, there was like five that had a heart after God. That's all. That's always what he's wanted, is a heart after himself. That's what he wants from us as well. He wants my heart. Before commissioning Peter, you know, the famous scene on the beach where Jesus pulls Peter aside and says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter's, you know, well, yeah, of course I do. Yes, Lord. You know, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's now feeling a little bit, you know, yeah, I just told you, you know, yes, I love you. You No, Peter, do you love me? Now, I know scholars tie that back into three denials, three affirmations, but do you love me is the question that God asks every one of us. Do you love me? That's That's the question. That's the question that he asks us, not did you check all your boxes today? Did you perform the way that everybody thought you should perform, that you thought you should perform? Did you perform in a way that you thought I thought you should perform? No, no, no. Do you love me, Paul? Do you love me? The rejected, wounded Jesus, whose whole ministry had been to announce the unconditional love of God, had only one question, and it wasn't. Do people take you seriously? How much do you know? What have you accomplished? Show me the results. Do you love me? We have to make that the central question of our Christian lives because it's that question that frees us. It frees us to be immersed in the knowledge that we belong to God. We're His. We're His beloved. We're His children. And then we're free because we're loving Him. And that will impact how I treat everybody else, how I live in this world if I am loving God first. One author put it this way, he said, all those who serve Christ become aware that serving Christ is somewhat easier than loving Christ. As doing is easier than being, serving is easier than loving. In fact, for a great many believers, serving becomes a substitute for loving. This would apply to our marriages just as much as it would to our relationship with God. We end up serving each other. You do the dishes, I'll cook. You take the trash out, I'll make the bed. And, no, 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 those are just things we do. A relationship is about loving one another. This is, it applies the same. During my many years as a pastor, I've watched those who began their faith pilgrimage in devotion, but end it with grudging service. Serving does not make happy Christians. Only loving will do that. Serving without love becomes at last a dull habit that gives us a place in the community while it steals our relationship with Christ. That's what I wish I'd learned in Sunday school. That's what I wish I had drummed into me. Does it mean there's anything wrong with telling new Christians to read the Bible and to pray and to, uh, to attend church, to, to grow and learn, attend Bible studies? Of course not. Please don't leave and think, well, he said I don't have to do any of those things. No, no, no. My point is that we're not doing those things to somehow win our acceptance or to now show God that we're serious about this. We show we're serious about it by loving Him, and we do those things as a, a means for Him to communicate and help us develop our understanding, because who is this God? Well, I gotta find out, I'm gonna have to read, you know? If I, I have to read somebody's biography to find out about them, or interview them personally. So we have to read to find out who God is, because everything we know about Him has been revealed. Uh, everything we can know about Him, is, it's, it's through revelation. And that's part of his word. So those are all wonderful things. It's just that we then don't present them with their list and say, you have to do these things because we're going to be checking on you, all right? We're watching you. No, no, you do these things to help your relationship with Christ grow. That's what it's all about. I had a conversation after first service uh, at, in the foyer there. And this is the challenge for me. This has been the ongoing weekly, daily challenge of the Christian life because it's all too easy just to slip into formality. So I got up and did my devotions. Check. I prayed. Check. Did I meet with God? Oh, not really. I just was, I was performing my duty. Well, I'm only supposed to be getting up and reading the Word and praying so that I can engage heart to heart with God. And if it's not doing that, maybe I should just put that all aside and do something. Maybe I should just go for a walk and talk with God as I walk. Finding things, this has been the challenge for me. Whatever I do only lasts a certain amount of time, and, I, and it becomes dull repetition. And as soon as I wake up and realize, I'm just going through the motions here, I've learned I have to stop doing that and do something else. So if I, if I find all I'm doing is just prayers becoming, well, then I'll write prayers for a while. Or maybe I'll walk and I'll pray. Or I'll stand and pray, because it's difficult to fall asleep when you're standing. You know, doing something different so that I stop thinking I'm just checking boxes. No, 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 this is about relationship. and That is the challenge. Growing up in church, I wanted to know, where, where's all the enthusiastic old people? Why aren't the old people in the little village church I grew up in, why aren't they beacons? If they've walked with Christ their whole life, why aren't they just shining lights in this church and in this community? And they weren't there. They were all, you know, doing their, their sweet wrappers, and during the sermon, the you know? And it's like, okay. And then they shuffle through and they serve, they make the tea or whatever. But where was the life? Why aren't we as Christians growing more and more enthusiastic about the God that we love? Why does it just, because we end up just going through routines. And that is not the Christian life. I strayed from my notes there for a second, so hang on. So we, we don't tell new Christians to do these things so we can check, check up on them. Most of the time, I have to be honest, most of the time, I'm pretty comfortable around God now. Right? Not all the time. It's, I still have a, a fatal flaw within me that causes me to do and say and think and things that he does not, he's not happy with. So, uh, but I no longer feel I have to follow a regime or a formula, or a structure in order to engage with him. In fact, I spend a lot of my time now, if I'm honest, just sitting quietly. Not reading, just sitting. Sometimes talking, sometimes complaining, but mostly just sitting. Because when just sitting, I get a chance to tune in and listen. You know, it's like pressing your ear up to the door of your heart and hearing what's going on inside. Where do your thoughts drift Because the things that your thoughts drift to in those quiet moments when you stop, that's what's dominating the interior life that you have. Well, maybe you should drag those in before God and say, God, I'm obviously completely um, possessed right now. I'm overcome with these things. So I want want to bring this to you. This is bothering me to all get out. Just stopping enough to be able to listen and hear. Heart to heart. I don't know if you've seen the movie, Good Will Hunting. I'm gonna wrap up with this. It's about a young man, Matt Damon, who's a janitor in a college, but who is a math genius. He is, however, underachieving because he was abused as a child. And to handle that abuse, he built an impenetrable wall around himself so that nothing could get in to hurt him again. And so he's living in a life, you know, he's, he's a construction worker. But he's a genius. But he isn't allowing himself to go anywhere near that because he just, he just wants to survive. He's in survival mode. But his genius is discovered, and he's invited to see Sean, a counselor, played by Robin Williams, to help him overcome his self-destructive, isolating, and underachieving lifestyle. They meet for months before the breakthrough comes because Will has never let anybody close to his heart. But Robin Williams, Sean, knows all about the abuse he's been through because he himself, as the character, was abused as a child. And so he knows exactly what uh, Will is going through. Finally, the day comes when he breaks through. And Sean holds up Will's file, his history, his entire past, all the pain and the heartache and the difficulty and the struggle and the walls. It's all in his file. And he holds it up and he says, all of this... All of this, well, it's not your fault. And Will says, I know. No, no. No, listen to me, son. It's not your fault. I know. No. No, no. No, you don't. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Now, Will is looking a little scared. I know that. No, no. It's not your fault. And Will starts to choke up. And Williams moves into his personal space, and he is right up front. He says, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And Will shoves him. His eyes fill with tears. Don't mess with me, Sean. Not you. Not now. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And in that moment, the little boy in Will, who had bottled up all the hurt and the pain of not feeling loved and accepted and embraced, who is to survive, has cocooned himself in a rock-hard, loveless shell, comes bursting through as he breaks down and sobs. And he says, oh God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And his prison is destroyed. He's now free to begin giving and receiving love again. He can begin to connect because there's been a girl Obviously, because there always is in the movie. But now he's free. He's free to love, which he wasn't free to do before. If your relationship with God has been self-destructive, isolated, underachieving, because you have been riddled with guilt since you can't remember when, I want you to hear God's voice this morning. I want you to hear God's heart for you when he says, Dan, Dan. Chris, Julie, Susan, Mark, Mary, put your own name in there. Do do you love me? We say yes. You know I do. No, no, no. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. No, listen to me. Son of Adam, daughter of Eve, do you love me? Do you love me? Don't mess with me, God. Not you, not now. You know what I've been through. Do you love me? Do you love me? And we say, oh God, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. And God says, welcome home, my child. Welcome home. God's acceptance of you and me is based on his love for us. And above all else, that is what he's looking for in return, love. I wish I had learned that. In Sunday school. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, one of the things, one of the pictures you give us in your word is that you are light. And light is a bit of a mystery for us. But one of the things we know is that it can shine on the most depraved, on the most filthy, the most offensive things in the world and come away untainted. So regardless of what we think about ourselves, I pray we would turn ourselves to that light and allow it to shine in. Pray we would allow you to break through The the walls that we we put up, whether they're made of wood and hay or sticks or the three little pigs of brick, whatever it may be, Lord, you can break through that and you can free us to enter what really you called us to from the beginning, which was a transforming relationship with the Lord Jesus. This is the essential thing. Lord, we are prone, so prone to forget. In the reminder we have this morning, may it change the rest of our day, the rest of our week, and the rest of our lives. We ask it for your son's sake. Amen.